Hello, dreamers. Welcome back to the show. If this is your first time watching or listening, welcome. Thanks for stopping by. Hit subscribe on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at livingthedream506. Share it. Tell your friends about it. All that good stuff. Everything helps. So thanks, at the very least, for just being here. My guest today is an absolute rock and roll legend. From starting out as a member of the Allman Brothers Band, touring with Eric Clapton, David Gilmore, George Harrison, to name a few, and now a member for the last four decades and touring with one of the greatest rock bands of all time, The Rolling Stones. His new documentary, The Tree Man, is out now, and it's incredible. You'll love it. So without further ado, please give it up for Mr. Chuck Lavelle. Chris, here we are. Mr. Lavelle, how are you? I'm doing very well, very well, thank you. So I'm here with Chuck Lavelle, Allman Brothers Band, Rolling Stones. This is, uh, this is beyond an honor and a privilege for me. Um, I'm very excited for this conversation and thank you so much for being here. You're very kind, Chris. It's great to be with you, my friend. So let's jump right in. Last night was the first show of the tour. How did it go? You know, I, I don't think it could have gone any better. It was a beautiful tribute to Charlie, of course. This whole tour is uh, a tribute to Charlie. Uh, they've put together some really lovely uh, video to celebrate him uh, that goes up on the big screen. Uh, you could feel the love from the audience uh, when Mick made a little short statement uh, about uh, the fact that Charlie's no longer with us and <clears throat> that we dedicate this tour to him. So yeah, and the band was tight. Steve Jordan's doing a fantastic job. Uh, he's a powerhouse of a drummer and he's honoring Charlie by, you know, playing certain parts the way Charlie would have done it, but being his own man at the same time. And I think it was a, a feeling of relief for all of us to get this one in the history books. <clears throat> Excuse me for, uh, as you know, we had to postpone uh, last year. So it's been two years and uh, to go through all that we've been through and to have the show that we had last night was a great relief. Yeah. Two years. I mean, how, how was the energy? Was it just insane? The crowd, everything? You know, it was. And, uh, as you probably know, there's been a lot of cancellations of, uh, tours of individual shows of festivals due to COVID there was a, you know, there's an air of uncertainty out there. And I think a lot of the people were like, well, 
they say they're going to come, but are they really going to come? And we really did. <laughs> and uh, we had a packed house. I think the figure we heard was something like 37, 38,000 fans. Um, you know, it, it, again, it was just a, a wonderful relief to get this one behind us. So now we can go forward with even more confidence. And I think the audience will feel more confident now that they've seen that there's been one that was uh, successful. Did it feel, feel normal? Yeah, it does. You know, there's a lot of familiarity. I mean, uh, I've been with these guys. This is uh, the 39th year uh, for me, which is, is pretty crazy. I mean, of course, we, we're not active every year, but that's how long I've been with the bands. Someone calculated on the last tour how many shows some of us have uh, done with the band. And in my case, it was well over 1,000 probably somewhere around 1200. So there was an air of familiarity to get up on that stage, to get behind my keyboard rig, uh, to look over there and see Mick singing and dancing and moving around and to look over there and see Keith uh, being Keith. Uh, you know, it, it, was, it was just a, a wonderful, wonderful feeling. That's amazing. It's, it's exciting to hear because everybody is just begging for a sense of normalcy and to like everybody wants to get back to normal, but normal for people like me is live music. And this is just such a, such a great, th great thing to hear that everybody was out like 30, 40,000, like you said, and that the feeling was somewhat normal and the music was flowing and everybody just kind of fell back into place. Like you said. Well, there's still challenges, uh, and we are kept in a very, very tight bubble out here, much like the model of the sports teams. Um, tested for COVID twice a week, band and crew, staff, everybody, entourage, uh, discouraged from going out publicly very much. You know, I mean, you got to get out every now and then, but when we do go out, we're always masked up <clears throat> and uh, very uh, careful to social distance and uh, when you go to a restaurant we it's best if we can find an outdoor place uh, so there there's protocols in place that make it different due to covid but um, you know we're getting around that and it's getting better and better i i still have a hard time understanding these non-vaxxers that uh, that won't go get the shot uh, to me, it's no different from a flu shot, a polio shot, uh, or anything of that nature. It's a matter of uh, keeping your health in place. So uh, that, to me, is very strange. <clears throat> and how it became politicized, I have no idea. I think that's just off the charts crazy. But anyway, we're making progress. I think we have, what is it now, 53, 54, maybe 55% of Americans that are um, all vaccinated. We need... 80%. And uh, so we, we just need to keep going towards that goal. Definitely. So the past two years, um, waiting to tour, having to cancel all the time. How did you keep busy? Was it was it easy for you? Like, I mean, I, I watched your documentary last night and just absolutely unbelievable. I loved it so I, much. The tree man uh, out now. And I assume you just spent your time in the woods on your property, just <laughs> being happy and living the life. Uh, yeah, uh, a, a good bit of that. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot to keep me busy on Charlene. 
uh, our place. And uh, so, you know, grooming the woods, uh, doing all kinds of activities, keeping our roads up. Uh, you know, we have a hunting business, a traditional southern quail hunt there. So uh, we plant feed plots and, and such. And we, you know, we, we try to work with nature very closely uh, to keep our land very healthy. Um, looking after our forests, uh, you know, there's always some activity to do with that, prescribed burns and such. But uh, Capricorn Studios in Macon, Georgia opened up about two years ago after being closed for decades. Uh, and of course, this is the studio that we recorded uh, the Allman Brothers Band, Brothers and Sisters, and the Win, Loser, Draw record, and the sea level records, uh, most of the sea level records uh, that we did. Bands like Marshall Tucker Band, uh, Charlie Daniels, uh, Bonnie Bramlett, and so many others recorded there. So I was able to do some recording sessions remotely. Uh, people would send me the files, and I would go to Capricorn and do the overdubs and then send them back. And so there, there was some musical activity as well, but uh, no live performances. Uh, we were able, uh, you may or may not be aware of the last show that we did do, March the 10th of 2020 at Madison Square Garden, which was a celebration of the Allman Brothers Band 50th anniversary. And we called it The Brothers. Warren Haynes, Derek Trucks, myself, uh, Reese Winans on Hammond B3. Um, let's see, we had Dwayne Trucks uh, playing drums along with J-Mo. And uh, it was, you know, we, we weren't sure we were even going to be able to do that show up until the morning of because of COVID. Uh, and the fact is that the next day, the 11th of March is when New York sh City shut down. Uh, all the basketball, if you remember, that was one of the first things to go was the basketball games. Everything canceled. So it was a joy to get that one uh, done, and it was a full house. We had a great, great time. It's now available on a DVD and Blu-ray and, and also uh, audio discs. Uh, but the other thing, you know, you mentioned the tree man. And so uh, the COVID era also gave me a chance to do some promotions for the tree man. And just to let your uh, listeners and your the people viewing know um, it's pretty much available on, on all the streaming services except Netflix. <clears throat> so it's on Apple uh, TV Plus. It's on um, you know just all the uh, Amazon Prime uh, and and all of those services. The only one that's really not yet available on is Netflix. <clears throat> yeah, and it's also a, it's also a Hard copies available on Blu-ray and uh, and on regular DVD. Perfect. Yeah, what a star-studded lineup for that Allman Brothers show you were just talking about. Yeah. I, I always loved the, the bands that they put together for the shows. I was able to see uh, in 2014 in Virginia at the Lock and Music Festival, I was able to see the Allman Brothers there. Yeah. And again, star-studded lineup and... Yeah, just incredible. Um, so I'd like to get back to the, the show last night. Like you were saying, Mick and Keith, everybody was just back, like you said, seemed back to normal a little bit, like fell back into place. The energy was all there, the excitement. What about you personally? Like, how did you, how did you feel? How was the, the vibe? How was your playing? How was everything? 
from the get-go, it was just a blessing. Um, you know, the, we opened with a street fighting man. And, uh, you know, we've, we've had fantastic rehearsals over the past six weeks. Uh, we were in Boston rehearsing uh, five days a week, about four to five hours a day uh, going through. You know, it, it, it just reminds you what the the what we have to work with. The body of work is so incredible. I mean, you know, we probably during that rehearsal period uh, played 80 songs, you know, something or maybe even more. I mean, everything from She's So Cold to um, 19th Nervous Breakdown and Under My Thumb and, and Sad, Sad, Sad and, you know, contemporary stuff, uh, stuff from the from the 60s, uh, stuff from 70s, 80s. Uh, it, so, <clears throat> you know, we worked very hard to put together a comprehensive set list that covered, you know, you can't do it all, but you cover as much of, of that territory as you can uh, to play the iconic songs that people come to hear, but still be able to throw something interesting in. And, you know, we did Ghost Town, which is uh, uh, was released during the COVID era and is certainly appropriate <laughs> uh, for these days. So, and, and the audience jumped right on it. You know, it's, there's a um, humming part where the audience can join in and they, we were wondering, are they going to do it? Are they going to, you know, sing the phrase? And they did, everybody did. It was fantastic. So that would have been a debut. That was the first time ever played live. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I suppose that's the, I mean, you don't really have to guess when you're the Rolling Stones if the crowd's going to know the song, but <laughs> when it is the first time, I, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, I checked the set list out. Like like you said, it's hard to curate a set list when every song's a hit, but nine, I think 19 songs played last night and just right, yeah. banger after banger. Just incredible. And so for the whole tour, you said you rehearsed about 80 songs. Is every song going to... Make an appearance, no, you, you can't bring them all. You know, we, we settle into a situation where you, you, you do the iconic ones and then, <clears throat> excuse me, then you have the opportunity to throw in maybe, you know, as many as four or so different um, deep cuts, if you will. Uh, so it's, you know, it, it, it's for me because I do the draft set list and I send to Mick and Mick makes his comments. And then of course it goes to Keith to see uh, if he has anything to say and to Ronnie. And uh, that's the way it works. And so, you know, you settle into this outline, if you will, where you've got these opportunities for or so songs that you can trade in and out. And we do the, uh, what we call the vote song where we engage the folks on social media. We put up four songs to choose from and they, they vote for which one of the four they prefer. And, and that's, that's a fun part of the, of the set. Now, do you, what's the feeling like for you? I mean, you've played all the hits hundreds of times. Songs like Ghost Town, is that something you really look forward to getting to play a new song live? Like, is it a different experience for you? Well, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was not on the, uh, the recording, uh, Matt Clifford played the keyboards on the recording and did a good job. So I had to kind of invent my part for the live version of it. And that was a lot of fun, you know, to come up with, uh, and I'm playing Hammond B3 on that one. So, uh, it's almost like a reggae type organ part that I'm doing in it. And yes, yeah, it's a nice little challenge to have, uh, come up with a new bit for a new song. Um, 
And there's other new releases that are going to be uh, with the re-release of Tattoo You. There's a song called Living in the Heart of Love. <clears throat> and then a, a Shylites deep track cover uh, called Troubles Are Coming. So those will probably make it in to the uh, tour at some point, but you know, they, they're unfamiliar to the audience now. Ghost Town is familiar, at least to most of the fans. So we need a little time for these others to get released and people to go on YouTube and you know download and stream these other songs so that they at least kind of have uh, some knowledge that, that of the, what the song is. So, you know, that's probably gonna come a third into the tour where we can start doing some of that. Yeah. Now on days off like today, what's the what's the landscape for Chuck? What do you what do you do on days like today? You see this, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I try to keep the chops up, do a little work. Um, I'm in my gym clothes. I don't know. You can't really see it all, but I'll go to the gym and work out. And uh, tomorrow's a travel day, so I'm going to be packing up some things that I don't really need and send back home, and then uh, you know tighten up the suitcases and get ready for the luggage call tomorrow morning. Um, it's a absolutely beautiful day in uh, St. Louis here. So I, I like to get out and about and walk, you know, there, there's uh, the last couple of days, <clears throat> I discovered uh, Washington University here in St. Louis, excuse me, <clears throat> kind of froggy this morning. And it's a beautiful, beautiful campus, just absolutely stunning. So um, I did probably a two mile walk through all the campus. The buildings are gorgeous. The grounds are well kept and everything. So uh, I'll get out and about for a walk. So is that like watching that documentary last night, you have like for some people, myself included, you have just the picture perfect life of outdoorsy, lots of land, you're a musician for one of the greatest rock bands of all time. And you're just so, you get up and have breakfast, everything's so happy and just, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't help but be envious of your life and <laughs> just, just the, how you hold yourself. Is, what's, what's the secret? Like <laughs> you say you work out, you're, you get outside, you're not, you're not letting the stresses in. Is that the secret? Like, just tell me what your secret is. I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> I don't know that there's any secret to it, but you know, having the life uh, at Charlene really does provide a, a balance for me. I think it's really easy for a lot of musicians and artists to get caught up in the, you know, uh, the, whatever it is, the glamor of it, the, uh, the lifestyle that, uh, that can suck you in, you know, and uh, to have that other thing, to be able to go out into the woods and hear the sound of the wind and the pines instead of uh, horns uh, honking in a big city or you know even loud music or whatever it might be, it just really provides a great balance uh, for me. And I love it. You know, it's physically challenging, and the the work is physical. You get out there with chainsaws and other tools that require using your body to. Uh, work the land. Uh, I love that part of it. Um, I love my dogs and we take take them into the woods and walk around or, or take one of our buggies or whatever and let the dogs run and have some fun with that. Um, but it, you know, I, I've always said that 
to me, life is all about balance. You know, you, it's, it's good to have whatever your vocation is, whether you're a writer, journalist, or whether you're, uh, you know, a doctor, a lawyer, whatever you might be, but to have something else that helps keep you balanced. Maybe you're, uh, you're a doctor and you like to write, you know, or, or maybe you're a, a lawyer, but you love playing golf. I mean, I, I think it's really important to have I, not very important to have physical activities that you do that help uh, keep you in shape, healthy, and give you a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. I had a question sent in actually, and it relates to the whole band. And a lot of people think this, but like Alex Matheson asked, how has Keith's lifestyle on the road changed (laughs) since the eighties? And what's it like now? And is he actually a pirate? (laughs) He is actually a pirate. Yes. (laughs) But you know, Keith, believe it or not, has quit smoking cigarettes. Uh, He quit drinking. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of artists go through periods where you're experimenting with drugs or you're, you go through alcohol or whatever. And, you know, Keith has just got an amazing willpower. And if he wants to stop drinking, boom, no problem. He wants to give those cigarettes up, you know, no cold turkey. It's just I'm done with it, you know. So uh, his willpower is incredibly strong. Um you know, uh, look, we're all, I'm 69 years old. Uh, Mick and Keith are 78. Uh, you know, Charlie, God bless him, died at age 80. And, and I think Ronnie's, you know, somewhere in his 70s. And uh, it's important that, that we keep ourselves in shape where we can get up on that stage and work. And we each have our own way of making that happen. Yeah, it's the, yours you look great. I mean, I was like watching that documentary, like I'm getting gray. It's, it's the, (laughs) that's the only distinguishment that would separate you from early Chuck Lavelle is the color of the hair. Otherwise you you still look like you're in your thirties. Well, look, uh, Chris, I've been painting my hair this color for many decades now. You know, I found out chicks really like this. (laughs) There you go. No, I appreciate that, man. But uh, again, I think it goes to uh, just being cognizant of uh, doing physical activities and trying to look after yourself. And, you know, every day is a blessing, man. I I can't believe that I still get to do this, you know, to get out here and and play at this level with these guys and with others. You know, in 2016, I had the great pleasure of doing the David Gilmore tour got to sing the counterpart to Comfortably, comfortably Numb and work with great musicians. Uh, Greg Gaines, my old pal that I worked with when we were both with Eric Clapton many years ago and with George Harrison. Uh, we tag team on, on that tour as well. So, you know, it, it's, you want to be able to do these things. You want to be able to work with these artists and these musicians and uh, it requires a certain degree of looking after yourself so you can do that. Yeah, I rewatched the Comfortably Numb performance this morning because, like I said, I watched it last night and that's the first time I'd ever heard it. And I, I knew you'd played with David Gilmore, but I didn't know you sang the counterpart. And yeah, and then the, the snarl that you were talking about for, yeah. the, for the vocals, I thought that was just so incredible. And I just, what, what was it like touring with David Gilmore and being able to be a part of that performance? David is one of the most incredible human beings I've ever met. Uh, Some people may know this, but I bet a lot of your uh, viewers don't know that he was 
uh, a very accomplished pilot. Uh, he learned how to fly many, many decades ago, and he got so good at it that he started collecting World War II airplanes, jets, Spitfires, and he started a whole company uh, to own all of these airplanes. Uh, he doesn't do it anymore, but that guy could fly anything. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of uh, wherewithal to be able to to do that and to do, be a safe pilot, you know. So, um as you saw in the in the documentary, when he was a young man and you go to the counselor when you're in high school or whatever it is, and, you know, you talk about what you might want to do going forward for a living. And it was forestry for him. And, you know, David's an incredible woodworker. Um, he's, and he's also a great environmentalist. He's planted uh, so many trees on his own beautiful property in England. Uh, so there's a lot to David Gilmore is the point. And then, you know, let's talk about his guitar playing. Let's talk about his songwriting and his incredible vocals. And uh, but a sweetheart of a guy, you know, just really pleasant to be around. Um, great conversationalist, great family man. Uh, his family was out with him on tour. And, and you know, I love seeing that. And so uh, what a joy and an honor it was. And you know, the other guys and, and girls um, on the stage with us, it was just an honor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just, I mean, legend to legend. This is, hearing these stories is just surreal, really. And you mentioned <laughs> touring with uh, Eric Clapton and George Harrison. What, again, what's the experience like? I don't, <laughs> these questions are so vague, but it's like, I just want to hear what you have to say about touring with these legends. Well, um, I'm sure you saw it in the documentary, but in the case of uh, Eric, uh, he was a special guest on the Steel Wheels tour on several shows, and they put him right next to me physically on the stage, and we, we did this song, uh, Little Red Rooster, a Howlin' Wolf song. And so, you know, I'm, I'm from the South, man. You know, I've, I've got blues in these hands and, and my hands, my fingers have a Southern accent. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I love playing that kind of thing. And so we had a really fun musical exchange, you know, he'd give me a little glance of if I, of course, I didn't want to step on him because he's Eric Clapton for heaven's sake, <laughs> but um, I tried to compliment what he was doing. So, at the end of the Steel Wheels tour, I get home and Dad Gummin, I could not find this thing for the documentary. I looked everywhere and I, I know I've got it somewhere, but there was a back in the days of cassette recordings for your telephone answering machine. I had a cassette of Eric calling me at the end of the Steel Wheels tour saying, hello, this is Eric Clapton calling for Chuck Lavelle, wondering if he'd be interested in playing some shows at the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah, I'd, I'd be very interested in that. So, you know, that's kind of been the story of my career. One thing leads to another, you know, get, getting to work with the Almond Brothers was in part what led me to the Stones um, because it was Bill Graham, the great promoter uh, from, uh, well, he had Fillmore East, Fillmore West, and he loved the Almond Brothers band. I came into the Almonds and he was, I think, skeptical. What's a piano player doing in a guitar band, you know? But I won him over and, and I made my contributions and we became very good friends. And uh, Bill Graham helped me very much with sea level. And uh, uh, so, you know, he became tour director for the Stones and they wanted new blood and 
Bill said, you, I, I say kid, you know, there's this kid in Georgia that you should call. And uh, of course I was almost 30 at the time, uh, but I get the call, you know, from, from Bill's office and I go for the audition and I, and I get the gig. So, uh, and you know, I, I've always been a goal oriented person. My father was that way. You know, I can remember him talking to me about setting goals. And, you know, when I decided that music was going to be my career, I said, okay, what would be a goal I could set? And uh, that was to be with a popular and good musical band by the time I'm 20. And that was the Allman Brothers Band. I had just turned 20 when I got that gig. And the further goal was to be in another popular band, uh, a good band, by the time I was 30. And that, that's uh, how the Stones thing came about. So I've been very fortunate to, to meet these goals. And I think you mentioned it in the movie, you make your own luck. Yes, exactly. Uh, that was one of the sayings that my dad always had. And it's, you know, it's kind of learning how to be at the right place at the right time, learning to listen. You know, uh, when, when young people ask me uh, advice about playing with other uh, bands or how, how do you pursue your career, be a good listener. You know, it's, it's uh, listen to what that drummer's doing, listen to what that bass player's doing and see what you can find to complement that. And, and also listen to what the main artists, you know, what are Mick and Keith and Ronnie looking for? What, you know, what do you want me to do? What is this song asking me? to do, you know, listen to the song, listen to the lyrics, listen to the, you know, the, the melodies, the beats, um, and, and find something that you feel like you can contribute and make a positive difference with. Yeah. And I think you may be one of the best of all time at doing that just as a session musician and as a live performer, just being able to take what's happening and adding a whole other song to it in your own, your own feeling, your own taste. And it's just, all the people mentioning it in the documentary, John Mayer, everybody saying that your part is the part that you hum in the song. <laughs> well, they were very gracious, all, all of those people. You know, when we decided to do the documentary and my, <clears throat> my motivation was mainly to have, you know, a, a, something documented for my family, for future generations. Uh, we have four grandchildren now, you know, and you get to this point and you start thinking about that. And, so that was really the motivation. And, and then all of a sudden the reality, uh, my filmmaker, Alan Forrest, who I have to compliment, he's just a great guy and just did a fabulous job with the, he did most all of the filming except for the historic stuff. Uh, and he did all the interviews, but you know, Alan, when we made the agreement, he said, you know, you have to use your best efforts to get these people to do interviews and talk to you. Uh, talk to me, you know, about you. And I thought, oh my God, what have I done? You know, now I've got to ask these favors and oh God, how do you know? And uh, it, it became a challenge and a little embarrassing, you know, to send that email. And, but we, we wound up with a pretty cool formula in which I would do the initial contact with Eric or with John or with, um, you know, whoever it might be. And I would, make a phone call or an email and just make a very short statement. Hey, wondering if you, you know, consider uh, having a short interview at your convenience. 
with uh, my filmmaker, Alan Forrest. And then Alan would do the heavy lifting after that. You know, they, if they agreed, then Alan made all the arrangements and would go. And I, I didn't see any of those interviews, any of them, until the film, he finished the film. So I had no idea. Well, maybe they're talking bad about me. I don't know what they're saying. But fortunately, it, it really did work out smoothly. And everyone was so gracious. They really were. Yeah, it turned out incredible. I, I loved it. Um, I have one last question for you. Um, right. What was the scene and vibe like between Keith and Mick during the dirty work sessions, yeah. especially since it was one of the most dancey eras, i.e. Harlem Shuffle? And that was said yeah. by Ryan Kinney. Well, you know, it's <clears throat> pretty well documented that there's been periods of time when the guys weren't getting along um, all that well. Uh, but, you know, to me, that's a sign of greatness when you, you have these periods that may be difficult, but you find a way through it. You know, you find a way through it. And we found a way through it on those sessions. You know, there, there were tense moments uh, from time to time. But, you know, once we all sat behind our instruments and started playing music, that's that's when it like the other stuff goes away, you know. Uh, but but there were some trying times in both uh, Undercover, the, the record Undercover and the Dirty Work period. But as I said, you know, the guys, uh, music is paramount, music puts everything aside. Uh, and that's been one of the incredible things about the Rolling Stones. Uh, how in the world do you stay a band for 60 years? And God bless Charlie, he missed it by one year to celebrate that. And we're hoping to be able to celebrate that 60th anniversary next year. So, um, you know, keep the fingers crossed and keep hope alive. Absolutely. Yeah. And you said, God bless Charlie. Um, before we go, I just want to say how sorry I am for your loss. Uh, a, a legend of a drummer. Yeah. Seeing everybody talk about it and just sharing stories about how great he was and just his precision and knowing exactly what to do at all times. Make it's yeah. It's just it's a hard loss. Um, yeah. Hard to talk about, but maybe send us off with a few words. Maybe a story about Mr. Charlie Watts. Oh, man. Um, you know, Charlie, to me, the incredible thing about him, of course, most people know he loved jazz. And so he, you've got this jazz drummer in a rock band. And he brought that sensibility and sensitivity and that whole feeling into this world. And oh, the thing about Charlie, Charlie used really heavy sticks. But he had a very small kit, as you know, it was just, you know, very simple um, snare, uh, uh, mounted tom, floor tom, bass drum, hi-hat, couple of cymbals, and that's it. You know, a lot of, lot of rock drummers have this huge array. And he made that little kit sound bigger than any other drummer in the world. And, and he had a delicate touch, but those big sticks is what gave him the tone. You know, so he didn't have to play hard. He played delicately, but the outcome was this powerful beat, you know, and, and it sounded like thunder. It sounded like, you know, God <laughs> on the drums. Uh, and, and, but it was all because of the technique, um, because of, you know, his personality. I was one of the sweetest guys on the planet. Uh, we had so many, you know, he was also very in tune to environmental concerns. He and his wife, Shirley, 
have uh, had a horse farm, 200 Arabian horses that they kept at a farm that they lived on in, in England. I, I think Shirley is, is carrying that on. But, you know, we had so many great conversations just about life in general, about uh, environmentalism, about music. Um, you know, he was gracious to play with me sometimes on side gigs that I would do. And, uh, and I miss him greatly. We all do. But uh, as I've said during this period of time, we honor Charlie by carrying on. Charlie Watts would never want to be the reason this band stopped. And he had, uh, he gave Steve Jordan his blessing before he passed away. You know, he, we knew that he couldn't make the tour when he was in the hospital. And, um, you know, the Steve's name came up and Charlie said, absolutely, that's who you need. But we all thought he would get better, you know. Uh, the doctors thought he would get better. And when the, <clears throat> when the news came, that was just a shock. We were, you know, it was like a gut punch, and uh, and we miss it. Absolutely, rest in peace, Charlie Watts. Yeah. Oh wow! Um, thank you so much for this. Is there any chance you could play us out with the? Uh, <laughs> well, let me see. I got to turn this rascal on. <laughs> let me see. Can you hear that? Yep. Jessica. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Chuck Lavelle, thank you so much for this. It's been an absolute honor right. and good luck on the rest of the tour. Okay. And I hope to see you sometime soon. Appreciate it, man. Take care. All the best.